Hope that you have a chance to hear him tonight. Will you guys please welcome Mitch as he comes up here? My name is Mitch. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ in recovery from drugs and alcohol. Amen. Let me uh, let me pray real quick. Oh Lord, as I was uh, worshiping you, um, I was really overcome with gratitude and gratefulness, and pretty much tears of joy, God, uh, for all you've done in my life. So I hope that uh, there's somebody out in the audience here that gets something from my story and wants a little bit of what you've done for me. Uh, so may you open the hearts and minds and allow this story, which is your story to be told and heard in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I'm going to try not to cry, but no promises. Oops, I don't play guitar. All right. Well, I always start with this scripture because it's one of my, one of my favorites. Um, it's, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. That's James 1, 2, and 3. And hi, my name is Mitch, and I'm a very grateful believer in Jesus Christ who is in recovery from drug addiction, alcoholism, and compulsive overeating. I've been, I've been known to eat a little too much, so I got the, I got the disease of more. Uh, hi. <laughs> Gosh darn these things. I accept full responsibility for every bad choice and behavior that I have carried out. My life started in Hayward, California in 1969, where I grew up, grew up with a father, a mother, a sister and a brother. My parents are still married today and have been for over 50 years. Gratefully, I am still, I am still in contact with my brother and sister. I was born uh, with ADHD and in the 1970s it was not handled properly due to a lack of awareness. ADHD is a constant challenge to work through. Anybody that has it knows what I mean. If you want to learn, I would ask that you research what children and adults with ADHD experience. How does a five-year-old cope with a mental disorder that nobody knows anything about? I had no idea what to do with myself. Unfortunately, I was labeled as being a troubled kid and making friends was hard and being made fun of was the norm. As a child, if I was able to sit through the whole kindergarten story, three to five minutes long, the teacher would put me up in front of the whole class and they would all clap for me. Those actions made me feel strange because nobody else was being displayed in front of the class and clapped for. One day when I was about six or seven years old, I was out riding my bike in the apartment complex that we lived at, and I was lured into a large hollowed out pine tree that was like a clubhouse on the inside. The two teenage girls decided that they would pick me to show, to show me what the birds and the bees were about. I remember it as if it were yesterday, and how shocked and scared I became. How does a six-year-old with a mental disorder, cope with the feelings associated with such an act. In my head, it was more confirmation that something was wrong with me. I always felt like that odd kid, sort of like a square peg trying to fit in that round hole. I just did not feel as if I fit in with anyone. I was in turmoil within my head, and I did not know how to cope with any of it. Nobody really talked about God in my home, and if they did, I do not remember. What I knew of God was, was a priest who was talking from behind a mesh screen that I was somehow supposed to get honest with and tell him all the bad things I did and go on my way. And then a nun who used to chase me around with a ruler as a boy, and I do remember her getting very angry because she could not catch me. <laughs> Unfortunately, I have memories of my uh, dad drinking beer 
and smoking cigarettes before I went to school, as that is when he got off work due to working the graveyard shift. The only time it seemed like I got any attention from my dad is when he was spanking my bare bottom with a leather belt for 30-minute long sessions. I would get three to four hard cracks, and then he would talk for a few minutes until the cycle, and then the cycle repeated. My mom would yell at my dad for spanking me so hard. Consequently, as a boy, I never heard those words, I love you, from my father. There was no affection displayed between my parents or, or to us children. My mother was loving and cared well for us kids. I do understand that both my parents did their best regardless of what, of what they were taught. My family cycles of dysfunction are a reality for the whole world unless the cycle is broken through work and recovery and allowing the Lord to change everything. This is what happens when you bite your fingernails. You don't have it. <laughs> the first time I changed the way I felt with a substance was from smoking Pall Mall non-filter cigarettes at the age of eight. Boy, was that a rush and something I did not like. At age nine and 10, I started to hang out with much older boys, and this is when I smoked weed for the first time and I started to drink alcohol. Suddenly, I did not feel like such an oddball as the substances took effect. I finally felt like I belonged someplace. I would get alcohol poisoning for the first time at the age of 12. At the age of 13, I, got, I was fighting in a classroom and I broke a kid's nose and unfortunately he had to have uh, reconstructive surgery to repair it. Um, the kid was poking me in my back several times and I warned him not to do it again. He did it again and I turned around and I reacted with punches to his face. This is how I would act, being fearful, and it would turn to anger at the snap of a finger. I've never had trouble standing up to those bullies and protecting myself, and I would also protect weaker kids from the bullies as well. Again, it was out of fear that I did this stuff. Also, while in middle school, my cousin Richard, he was more like a brother to me, he died at 13 years of age. I felt lost, and I did not know what to do. I would drink and use substances to numb the pains of my life and to try to fit in with the other kids. When I got to high school, the drinking and drugs became almost a daily occurrence. And I was also arrested for the first time at 15 years old uh, for possession of f stolen firearms with intent to sell. It's not a good way to start your life. I spent 30 days in the maximum security level out at uh, Juvenile Hall. This was a start to my criminal activity based around obtaining and using substances. During high school, I tried to hide behind sports to fit in and it helped me feel accepted. I excelled in football, uh, I played both ways. I did all the special teams, kicked field goals, and I kicked off as well. The coach had me on the field as much as possible. I loved taking my anger out on other opponents. I maliciously hurt two different quarterbacks and took them out for the season with broken bones. I probably owe them an amends, actually. I would look out into the crowd to see if my dad were at my games, and I do remember seeing him one or two times for a very short period, and then he would be gone as he had to go to work. I felt as if I was not good enough for the love for my father. My mom did come to support me as much as she could. I do remember that. At age 19, I went into my first rehab. I got out and I failed miserably as I was not ready to change. I was in denial about having a problem. I ended up homeless and on the streets and living in my car. At this time, I met up with an old girlfriend at the age of 19. Uh, her name was Michelle, and she had my oldest daughter, Brianna. And after a three-year violent relationship with, her, with Brianna's mom, I wanted out. Michelle told me that if I did not marry her, that I would never see my child. 
I told her that I would not marry a violent woman. And Michelle, she meant what she said. She moved around uh, over the next few years and I had to track her down five times around the Bay Area. Um, I wanted to see my daughter, but Michelle would not let me see her. And she also refused, refused to take child support from me. Michelle told me that if she took my support, she would have to let me see my daughter. I did end up with joint legal and physical custody of her, but that made no difference. Michelle ended up abducting my daughter, who I still have no relationship with to this day. I've tried to get to know her, but it's in God's hands that she wants nothing to do with me. By the age of 23, I got myself into a lot of trouble, and I was on probation in three separate counties and in and out of jail. I was headed to prison. I was at court for a violent probation violation offense, and in 1993, this is at the age of 24, the judge stuck me in solitary uh, confinement out at Santa Rita. He told me before that I went in, if I as much spit on the sidewalk when I got out, he would give me 10 years in prison. It's a lot to think about. After long and hard locked in a cell all alone, I knew that I needed to change my life, but I did not know how that was going to be possible. After reading a beat-up old book held together with rubber bands called Peace with God, I answered a chapel call one day. I went to the chapel, and I received a message that I took very seriously. I cried out to Jesus, and I was saved by my Lord right there that day in chapel in Santa Rita. That's right. I, I felt something come over me as if it was washing me off. I cried for over an hour and a half like I had never cried before. I truly was delivered at this time of smoking cigarettes, drinking, using meth, cursing, fighting, and my old thoughts were like gone. It was really strange. My mom was shocked to see the new me, and she knew that Jesus had got hold of me. I would not drink or use or hardly curse for the next seven and a half years. When I got out of jail uh, and moved back in with my parents for a while, a friend of mine got hold of me, and he told me that there was a female that I had... Uh, slept with and I shared needles with that died of, she died of AIDS. I was scared to death and went through the next year and a half of getting tested to see if I contracted the virus. God spared me once again and I was clear and free of HIV. So God, yep. I started attending church hard and heavy and that's where I met my wife, Cindy, at East Bay Faith Center. We were married in 1994 and we had two wonderful kids. I was holding down a great job and we were doing okay but I stopped applying God's principles and I was running on my will. I went to church most of the time, but I was not doing much else to be of service to God. I dropped my power source and I was relying on myself. And without the help of Jesus, I lacked the power to be who he and my fellow men need me to be. How can I be of service to the Lord if I do not do the work that he expects? expects? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. That's James fourteen twenty six. In 2001, I was in a motorcycle crash, and I, I started to take pain pills, and a sleeping dragon was awakened. I would become heavily addicted to Oxycontin muscle relaxers, and I was drinking alcohol as well. Anybody knows that's a recipe for death. After several work injuries, the, the pain medication would go on for seven more years, and I became heavily depressed and full of self-pity. No matter how hard I tried to confess and pray my emotional struggles, and addiction away, get prayed for, and ask God to take it from me, it would never happen. I would never admit that it was a problem to myself. I was just wanting that, that deliverance and that quick fix like he gave me that, that time in Santa Rita in 1993. I believe you get one of those, and that's it. 
being heavily addicted to Oxycontin and alcohol in 2005, a pastor friend and my wife did an intervention on me and I went into a treatment center for the second time in my life. I got out and I was doing okay for a while, but again, I did not work the steps that God laid out for me and I went back to what I knew. Once again, I was not relying on God. I started using again and got kicked out of my house. The cycle would repeat itself after I moved back in. I was kicked out and this time separated from my wife. What a pitiful and dysfunctional cycle of insanity for my wife and children to witness. In 2007, I would, I would seek help once again and I started attending Celebrate Recovery at Big Valley Grace and Neighborhood Church. I started intimately connecting with God again through working the steps in a step study. I got involved working the steps with an accountability team and a sponsor and I experienced a lot of internal change at that time. I met men that I still talk to today Men like David G and David F and many other brothers that I have met through CR. I have built lifelong real friendships which I have never been able to do any other way. I finally met people I knew were like me and above that I began to get, I began to get as honest as I could. We shared secrets with one another. I shared some but not all. I found out the hard way that keeping secrets can and do keep you sick. You can't heal a wound by saying it's not there. Jeremiah 6.14 in recovery, it's imperative to be honest, but particularly at the fourth and fifth steps, as these were the most difficult for me. I felt guilt and shame regarding the sexual abuse and sexual acts that I carried out. And I had trust issues due to all the abuse. It is vital to be rigorously honest and to continue the same level of honesty throughout the steps. Please do not hold on to any secrets as they will keep you in bondage and stall, your, stall any imperative growth. God takes me through things I cannot understand to bring me where he wants me to be. I finally fully accepted that I'm an addict and alcoholic and I cannot do recovery alone. I now do have a full knowledge of, of my addiction and compulsive behaviors. I need to always be reminded of where I came from. First, I need Jesus daily, not just when I get in a pinch. And next, I need other people to hold me accountable. I was working on my marriage and treating my wife in the ways that she deserves but I started to let up on working a program again. There must be a balance in life and recovery must come first. I'm very stubborn and hard-headed. Again, I started to veer away from God's principles and I thought I could handle life on my own power once again. This is a great example of why I need to always admit I will struggle forever with the thoughts and addictions and my character defects. It's mainly the character defects. That's what drives the behaviors. I claim spiritual progress, never spiritual perfection, and I will never be cured of my compulsive behaviors. When a personal issue had surfaced in my marriage, I became fearful, angry, and resentful, and when that happens, I can become venge-minded and want to cause harm if I am not maintaining my spiritual health. Who am I to get so justified in my anger after all the harm I caused for so many years? As an addict and alcoholic, I can justify anger when I am not in fit spiritual condition. The saying is true that hurt people hurt people. The fears, resentments, selfishness, self-delusions, and self-centeredness are all my glaring character defects that require daily prayer and allowing the Lord to help me. I like to give things up and take them back at times. Had I been doing what I learned, I would never let the fears turn into the anger which then turn into resentments, then self-righteous, justified anger, and that good old friend self-pity. 
I should have called my sponsor and other accountability people but chose to use my heart as a guide rather than practice the principles and forgiveness. The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who could know it? Jeremiah 17.9. I like stuff in Jeremiah, some good stuff. I would start to use alcohol again and after drinking heavily in November 2014, I ended up getting a DUI. I reached that spot of pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization once again. I had to have my wife and son come at 1.30 in the morning to get my truck on the night before my son's first football game of his senior year. As they pulled up, I was sitting on the bumper of a cop car, embarrassed with handcuffs on once again. I harmed those who I loved the most. Sadly, I was still drinking for about another four months after the DUI, but I knew that things had to change. So I returned to Celebrate Recovery and started going to Alcoholics Anonymous again in March of 2015. And I met a man, a bunch of men, and my sponsor that I have today. I would go the next two years completely sober, um, but I got injured working and ended up having to have a total shoulder replacement surgery. Once again, I stopped talking to my sponsor, those are called reservations, and I'd work in the steps and I would end up addicted to the pain medication. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. Like a dog that returns to his vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. Proverbs 26:11. In August of 2018, my wife would find me almost dead from a heroin overdose on the bathroom floor. My wife, who would not normally stay home from work on a Tuesday, decided that out of the blue, she felt she did not, out of the blue, that she did not feel like she should go to work that day. And thank God she didn't because she found me minutes away from death. Had she gone to work, my son would have found me dead on the floor when he got home from work. To me, these are known as godsidents. I do not believe such events are a mere coincidence. Pitifully and incomprehensibly demoralized once again, and this time waking up in the ICU with tubes coming out of my throat and strapped to a bed with IVs in both arms. My family, being my mom and my wife, and my son, my best friend, a bunch of people wondering if I, was, if I would live. They were just concerned, and here I am. I don't even know why I'm there. This, I thought, would be a wake-up call, and one would think such an event would wake anybody up from themselves, but I kept using the opiates after I got home. I laugh at myself because I'm cuckoo. Addiction is cunning, baffling, and powerful. In a moment of clarity, I heard that small voice say to me, it's time to get back on the right path. So I started to cut back and taper off of the opiates to avoid being crippled from the sickness of the withdrawal. I have been free of opiates since January of 2019, and I have not touched alcohol since March of 2015. Yep. I don't miss it at all. I have no obsession. It's awesome. I would end up almost dying again. Uh, in January 2019 from not watching my blood sugars. I'm diabetic and I was overeating sweets. See, I have the disease of more. Coupled with catching a virus that turned pneumonia, the combination of these things pushed my blood sugar levels to 650. Yeah, crazy. I woke up at 3 a.m. and I was paralyzed. I was unable to move. I had to call an ambulance and go to the hospital and the doctor said had I waited much longer, I wouldn't be here today. God saved me once again. I do give new meaning to the word powerless. I have fully surrendered to God in recovery. I went to the doctors and I told them that I could never have opiates again, which is a huge step of faith to go red flag myself. I need that as a form of accountability. I'm done relying on myself, well, keeping secrets and having reservations. I also started eating healthy 
I keep saying this, but man, I'm lagging. Begin to exercise soon. I have a lot of fear of being hurt while working out. I don't want those pills, even the thought of them. Steps eight and nine tell me that I get to make amends for all the harm that I've done to anyone, no matter how big or small. Step 10 says that I get to do a daily inventory and continue to make amends anytime I I do or say something that is harmful to another person. The biggest amends I can do would be to maintain my sobriety and continual growth. I'm in service by doing the CR inside ministry. I do H&I. I haven't been doing it because of the COVID stuff, but um, I chair AA meetings, CR meetings. Um, I also volunteer for the counseling ministry um, here at Big Valley Grace as a lay counselor, and I sponsor other men. And I always say I'm always in service. It saves my butt. I will continue working with other people to help them, and I will also continue to share my story. I finished a fifth step, a fifth step study, and I just started a sixth. Never going to be cured. I got to keep working. AA and Celebrate Recovery helps to develop new relationships while also continuing to build up support teams. I finished my bachelor's degree and I have a, a BS in human services management and a certificate in addictions. And I also finished with the 3.85 GPA and graduated with honors. It's, I'm so grateful I have my brain left. Seriously. I started the master's program. I'm, I'm in the master's program right now to get an MSAC, which is a Master of Science in Addiction Counseling. Uh, my dream is to have a nonprofit someday for runaway and homeless teenagers. And if it's supposed to happen, if it's God's will, it'll happen. Uh, there is a God in heaven, and boy, does he love all of us. God always does for me what I cannot do for myself, which are things like being able to get up in front of people and share this story. He is especially faithful when I seek him every day asking him to help me be free of the fears and defects. Step 11 says, sought through prayer and meditation to maintain conscious contact with God, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry it out. That step is especially important to me because the lack of conscious contact means that I'm relying on myself. By planning only 24 hours at a time, asking God daily as many times as needed to help him direct my thinking, recovery and life are definitely manageable. I thank the Lord for my never quit and tenacious personality. By continuing to focus on what I can do for others, continual growth are the results. If I'm thinking of others, I have a lesser chance of thinking of myself and being selfish, and it always reminds me to ask God, who can I serve and be of help to today? There are times, these are the times that I meet the Lord in the sunlight of his spirit. One thing I know for sure is that God has a plan for me and he really wants to see that fulfilled. That is how much he loves me. Part of his plan is for me to give back of what has freely been given to me, which is the requirement of, one of the requirements of step 12. Jesus sent me an angel to keep watch over me, and she's my wife of 26 years. I love you, Cindy. And, I, and I, I'm grateful that the Lord has blessed me with you as a partner. Cindy, you and the kids have been through so much more than you deserve. I love you, Brittany and Zachary, and I'm proud to be your father. Recovery has truly changed and saved my marriage and relationships with my children. In time, God can repair the damages, and in many ways, he already has. Let me, please allow me to explain an analogy. When a family is destroyed by a tornado like me, through the amends process, it can take many years to repair the destruction, and consequently, there may be some parts that never get repaired. But no one believe this, Jesus will repair the parts of my life that need to be. I will continue to do my part, and I know Jesus is faithful to do his. 
I never want to forget what God has brought me through, so I will never stop admitting that I am powerless over such things. I feel extremely blessed because so many alcoholics, addicts, and compulsive overeaters do not live long to tell their stories, and they do not get the many chances that I have. I truly believe deep in my soul that God did not do another divine intervention and deliver me that day like he did in Santa Rita because he wanted to teach me how to surrender and to fully submit to him. This is so a slow learning process could take place regarding how beautifully uh, the Lord and the steps of recovery work. I pray that everybody can understand what I have come to understand, but not suffer the heartache and cause the damage that I have. I have a little, uh, I printed the wrong one. I have two of these at home and I had some stuff on the other one. Uh, I wanted to share a quick story about uh, some change that happened. Uh, when I was younger, I had three, I got three girls pregnant, two of which had abortions. Um, and that haunted me for a really long time. I carried that for decades. Uh, being, being involved in the taking of an innocent life, it, it really affected me deeply. Um, so I decided with the, with the suggestion of my sponsor, imagine that, I, I took a suggestion and I went and did it. Um, I went and I wrote letters to these aborted babies. Okay, and this is one of the hardest things I've ever had to do in my life. Um, and I got with my wife and we laid a baby blanket out on the, on the couch. And I read the letters to the babies. Her and I shared a hug. Shared a hug. And afterward, when I put the letters in the shredder, I felt free as all get out. It was amazing. So I did my part and God did his and it was not easy. To anybody new, returning, or been here for a while, never give up on yourself because, man, because God will never give up on you. If you are new and still trying to decide if you need recovery, keep coming back and do not quit until the miracle happens. To anybody returning or been here for a while and you, keep, you find those stinking thinking habits returning, get into a step study, get a sponsor and use them. Take their suggestions as if your life depends upon it. Work the steps and never stop. The Celebrate Recovery Program is designed to be done with other like-minded people and for the rest of our lives. Nobody graduates from being a human. You will never find a more honest group of people and there's no place on the planet like the rooms of recovery. Thanks for letting me share. If you ever see uh, Mitch without his water, make sure you encourage him to drink that water. He's always got a big Fiji going on. Um, hey, Mitch, thank you for sharing your story with us, man. I, uh, I hope uh, that some part of his story touched your heart and impacted your life. If it did, I encourage you, as he is around here regularly, I encourage you to uh, talk to him and uh, maybe share with him what touched your heart. Um, good thing, Mitch. 
man, you're messed up. I love it. And uh, if God can save you, man, he can save us all, right? Come on, man. Uh, so I'm excited about that. But hey, let's close our time to serenity prayer, and then we'll head out of here um, to our open share groups. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever the next. Amen.